Hello and welcome to Theology with Coffee. I'm one of your hosts and that is me, Kelson Wolverton. Um, my partner in crime, uh, my co-host, he is on vacation. But I thought we would continue the series that I've been kind of doing by myself, which is the Jewish festivals. We've talked about Yom Kippur, we've talked about Rosh Hashanah to Sukkoth, and today I would love to talk about the Jewish festival of Hanukkah. Now, Hanukkah is not considered one of the seven prominent festivals. However, Hanukkah is very significant to the Jewish history as well as today. And so I really wanted to focus about that. Um, Hanukkah, out of all the festivals, has the most historical context and history out of all the festivals. It happened during the time of we call they call it the silent years of the 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament where at this time there was no prophet no visions that were happening and this was the between time um, and a lot of people would say okay well Hanukkah is during is not really in the Old Testament or the New Testament we find that in first and second Maccabees which is in the Apocrypha how do we explain that why is that important well um, the Apocrypha, even though it is not considered God's inspired word, we definitely see that God, uh, not God, but the disciples, Jesus themselves would have been familiar with these books from the Apocrypha. They would um, be familiar about the history context that was happening. We actually see like Paul, some of the disciples um, will quote some of these things within the New Testament. And so even though they're not considered inspired, the what we would call the Holy Bible, they are significantly important. Think of it like today as like a commentary that helps understand the audience, the context that was going on. And so Hanukkah is part of this book called First and Second Maccabees. Hanukkah actually means the rededication. Rededication. And so I love that because the story is about how God and uses his people and his people who are brave and have faith and trust to rededicate the temple where uh, of bringing it back to what it used to be. And so let's go back into history where we find at this time that Israel is, um, is owned by the Grecian empire by Alexander the Great. And as he has continued to conquer more lands again and again and again, eventually we actually find out that at age 33 he dies. He doesn't have any children to give that land, his empire. And so it's divided by four different generals all throughout the empire. Eventually, we come to this man called Antoninus IV of Epiphanes. Now, he, they gave him the nickname Madman because he himself had this pride, this envy, this anger that really just wanted to conquer everything. He himself wanted the empire just like Alexander the Great. Those four generals, even though they had their own countries, own empires to judge, they themselves wanted to conquer those lands. And so Antonius, he is rallying up. He's going through at this time. The people of Israel are still being able to praise God, do the dietitian laws to um, 
you know, uh, following the Shabbat, reading God's word, celebrating together in the synagogue. And eventually, as this was going on, we had uh, Jews who were becoming Hellenistic Jews, which means is that they're, yes, they were Jews, but they were adopting Grecian law, culture, um, the life itself. And so one of those Jews decides to be uh, the high priest, and he actually changes his name to Jason. We definitely see that, uh, of trying to bridge Jew, uh, the Jews in Israel to follow these laws, these Grecian laws. And so Antonius the says, that's totally fine. Uh, he respects that. He and, and it's more support for him to continue to grow, to impact his empire. And so Throughout his conquest, we definitely see he goes into Egypt to conquer more of that land where he gets stopped by a Roman general officer, which humiliates him um, because he can't conquer it. They actually draw a circle like either if you get out of this, we're declare war on you. If you don't um, get out of the circle, you just need to leave and you need to surrender. And so Antonius IV, he's really upset. He is crushed of feeling humiliated that he can't do this. And so as he's coming back into this, uh, into his empire, he goes to Jerusalem and he just starts demolishing, demolishing Jerusalem, killing men and women and children. Fires are burning. He goes into the temple. He's destroying everything that's inside the temple. He goes in there, demolishes it all. And then goes into the Holy of Holies. Remember how important the Holy of Holies is. That only the high priest once a year could go into the Holy of Holies. And even that was sacred. And so he himself, he goes in, he destroys the elements, the gold, all the stuff that's in there. And he decides to build a statue of Zeus, even though it's his face that's on it, um, which ultimately he, he thought himself he was the god, Antonius IV did. But he builds the statue of Zeus. He sacrifices a pig on the altar, which is so sacrilegious to the Jews, like the worst thing what you could do. And not only does he sacrifice that pig, he uses the blood to sprinkle on all those things. So just imagine this place that's considered sacred, this place that's considered where God's presence dwells with his people. And we've already seen the temple is destroyed once. Remember, the temple was rededicated and remade with Ezra and Nehemiah, and now it's destroyed. And Antonius IV makes the laws of like no one can get circumcision for the boys to the dietitianary law to the Shabbat of meeting together. If so, they were committed treason and executed on the spot. And this broke the Jewish people's hearts. And we definitely have heard stories and that even written down of martyrs who are standing up for their faith of saying, we will not follow in Tychonius. We will not follow these false gods of the Grecians. We will only follow one true God. Eventually, as the year went by, we come to this small city of Modin. Now, uh, Modin was just 17 miles southwest from Jerusalem. And at this time, they were telling the priest, which is Matthias, he was a, a very old man, as we have found out, um, that he needs to sacrifice a pig and a goat to the altars of the Grecian gods. And Matthias says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. My only one choice is to follow God 
himself. And so through that, he grabs a knife next to one of, uh, next to him and starts killing the, the people that are not following God, the, the Grecian lawyers and, and, and following this revolt. And he has five sons and his five sons come to them play and they themselves are fighting this battle and this roar, war and they're doing this revolt. Eventually they flee into the hills of Judea. And as we see within those three and a half years, they would continue to have this guerrilla war style of coming in and taking over, revolting against the Antonius IV and his people and the laws, and they would leave. Eventually, Matthias would die and his son Judah, the third son, which is called, um, his nickname was the Hammer because he was smart. He was strategic. He was a warrior in himself, continues the conquest that his dad uh, stood up for. And as the three and a half years go by, they finally recapture Jerusalem. And as they're going into the temple, they see the destruction, the eradication that Antonius IV has done. And they are so heartbroken. They are so much in sorrow that they tear their clothes and they're repenting and they're praying. And they are just devastated to see the destruction that has happened in the place where God would dwell among his people. And at that time, as they're digging and as they're finding things, we see that they find a a menorah and uh, they only had oil to light for one night. But the greatest miracle that happened is that it didn't just last for one night, it lasted for eight nights. Because this menorah in the temple would burn all the time. It would never turn off. It would never be blown out. And the fact that they only had oil for one night to last for just one day, they themselves had it for eight days, which is, I honestly think, such a huge miracle because we know that it takes seven days to uh, rededicate the temple and on the eighth day to rest. We actually see that uh, several times with Solomon um, and the people. Uh, when God's Shekinah glory comes into play, it was seven days. And on the eighth day, God came. We see that with Ezra and Nehemiah. It took seven days um, to rededicate it. And on the eighth day for praise and singing. And so Hanukkah represents God's provision, God's abundance, and his overall protection of his people. That even when life seems hard, even when there is destruction that is happening all around us, God is moving and is in control and interacting with his people. And so even though the menorah had seven, we now have eight because they were reminded of the story of Hanukkah, how God used a small group of individuals to be mighty men, to conquer and uh, to just reestablish his people, the, the, the city of Israel, once again to his people. So on Hanukkah, it actually is in the beginning of the winter month of December, and it lasts for, as you know, eight days and every night there is a blessing and you would light the candle and so this candle right here is called the shamash candle that shamash candle is representing a a servant uh, a person who helps and lights the scenes and every day you would light a candle from left to right and you would do a blessing and you would put this menorah outside of your window showing that the, these lights were only dedicated for God himself. I'm going to 
kind of light these little here. Sorry for my podcast listeners, you can't see it. but um, And you would put this out inside on your window representing God's faithfulness, God's provision, and his abundance of what he gives to his people. So you have the menorah. This is also time of gifts, of gift gifting. You know, you kind of see this like intersecting with uh, Christmas, but you would give gifts. You would also give gifts of charity, of money uh, to the less unfortunate, to the poor. And then you would play lots of games. This is a time of rejoicing, of playing games. And one of the most popular games is this game called the dreidel. And it's this die right here. And on each side, um, there is a Hebrew letter. And each one has it where you would spin the top and there would be golden coins right in front of you. Um, and either you can, if it fell on one side, you would get the whole pot. If you, uh, if it fell on another side, you didn't get anything. Uh, if it was another side, you had to put one in. And, and on um, like the last one, it was like you would put two or three or take one from somebody and put it in. And so lots of games, lots of fun. Uh, of just rejoicing, lots of praising, of especially the Psalms of Hillel. So why is Hanukkah important today? Well, it reminds us that Hanukkah is just a shadow of the events to come. That we have seen time and time again where the world itself is broken and that their darkness is wanting to prevail against the light. And that it will go against God's people, not just Jewish people, but now the family of God, people who trust and believe and have faith that there is darkness all around us and they're going to destroy destroy the light. They're going to try to take our hope, to take our faith. And yet we are reminded by Hanukkah that through all that pain, through all that suffering, through, the, through, through even our brothers and sisters who have laid down their life for the cause of the hope that is yet to come. They have they don't they didn't know what that was, but they knew that the hope was we know that it was Jesus. Jesus who was our hope, who died on a cross, and we know that in the second coming God will come back again and every tongue and every nation and every cultural culture will know that God Jesus is the true Messiah. And so, with those just shadow of events, we're going to see that It's just going to keep happening. Evilness is going to keep happening. It's just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. But we know that the hope lies in Jesus Christ. Christ himself who comes. And Jesus would have known this. He would have celebrated Hanukkah during that time. And he would say that he is the light of the world. What was another festival we talked about lights? It was Sukkoth. Also the Feast of Tabernacles that also represents light. But Hanukkah represents life. But it also talks with us about, too, God's faithfulness. That even though there was only one oil thing to keep the lights for one night, God made it last for eight days, which shows his abundance of that when we, we don't deserve his great abundance. We do not deserve his mercy and his love, and yet he wants the best for us. I am reminded of um, Matthew about how if the God takes care of the birds, how much more does he care for his people? And we've seen that all throughout scripture, all throughout, and how he does in my life, in your life, in his provision, and in his faithfulness to his people. 
And it reminds us too that we're grateful for for brothers and sisters who stand up in the face of difficulty and the face of persecution, who have laid down their lives for all of us, the preservation of the saints, for us to continue to persevere, to move on, to have faith and hope and boldness. And that is why the church is so important. Us as people to come together, to stand firm because it will happen. We see it already now. It's still happening around the world that people are being persecuted for their faith. And that we ourselves are going to experience that. If we're not now, it's going to definitely happen. And that we're reminded that we are not alone in this. And that we can stand firm. Of knowing that we have the hope, the eternal hope. That Jesus is coming back again. That Jesus that we get to be with him for eternity. That death doesn't isn't a fear for us any longer because we know where we're going because of our faith and trust. So I hope you enjoyed uh, a little more about Hanukkah. I hope I explained it, um, the significance of why it's important. I know we already passed Hanukkah. It already happened in December. But hey, this year, um, when we get back to Christmas, I hope that... Um, Studying a little more about Hanukkah, uh, maybe yourself getting a, a menorah and, and learning and, and bridging that with your family uh, would just be just an amazing uh, time together and experience to continue to dive into God's word and, and to know too that, again, the Jewish festivals are all super important. I actually had a youth student, why, why do you celebrate Kelson? And again, to me, it reminds me, it gives me a better uh, observation. It gives me a better insight to what is happening. It gives me, it allows me to be a better theologian. It allows me to be a better individual when I understand more about the context and the audience that is going around, um, during that time. And it's just made things more clear. And so I hope, um, that it does the same for you as we've continued our series of Jewish festivals. Um, we still have a few more that I haven't discussed yet, but especially within the fall festivals, we've kind of done all of them. But uh, let me pray for you. And um, then after that, uh, the next time we do Theology with Coffee, Taylor, Pastor Taylor and I will uh, continue our series in Amos. So if you could please bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your diligence. Thank you for your light and and for your abundance and your faithfulness and your provision. And I just pray that uh, today was just an encouragement to people who are watching this and even listening to this um, as a new insight. Maybe it it just helped broaden um, more of just your faithfulness and of your goodness And I just pray that as we continue to do Theology with Coffee in the year of 2023, uh, that your will would be done, that it would just be a a time of of really studying your word, that people who are watching and listening this now, that they would have a passion to, to have this deep relationship with you, to have a passion for your word, to study it, to dig it, to meditate it. And so I just pray that, you know, you say in someone, blessed is the man who who walks on, who, uh, who walks on water and, and does not sit with the seat of the wicked, who meditates on your law day and night. You say in numbers that the book of the law should not depart from her mouth, 
that it should be with us day and night, that, may, that we may prove what is successful in your sight. Let us be a light. Let us be a light into the dark world. We know our world is suffering. Our world is getting worse. And we know that creation itself is groaning and yearning for your second coming just as much as we have here too. But I pray that we have boldness, that we would have faithfulness to share the greatest message there ever was to the people as our family, to our community, to our churches, uh, to our coworkers, to our neighbors, our friends, you name it, even to strangers, that we would share the best and greatest message there ever was. Father, we thank you and we praise you in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much. I hope this was uh, a great time as we continue in our series of the festivals. And we can't wait to see you as we continue to dive into Amos. Have a blessed day. And we, uh, well, I know for myself, I bet you Taylor would say that too. We love y'all so much, our listeners and our watchers. And if you ever have any questions, feel free to email us at theologywcoffee at gmail.com. We would love to answer your questions. Maybe there's a book that you would like for us to recommend next after Amos. Well, there will be Obadiah, but after that kind of like um, book journal, we would love to study it and do it. So blessings.